1: This
4: is the Sports Illustrated Boxing Podcast.
1: Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. Andy Ruiz
4: is the heavyweight champion. Hosted by SI's Chris Mannix. That was really embarrassing. That was my moment. Now with interviews, analysis, and everything going on in the world
1: of boxing. When you have talent, you are given another chance. Here's Chris Mannix. All right, busy week. In boxing I say week because I do want to get into the uh release of the showtime schedule Keith keith idex senior writer BoxingScene.com dot here joining me for uh, an emergency podcast he is a friend of the pod he is a friend of the emergency pod which uh i don't know if we can call them emergency pods anymore keith that we we keep doing them like like every other week, so you know
4: they're starting to become just part of the cycle I think emergency's a little strong regardless but yeah let's call it a bi weekly uh second pod about that. Yeah. It's
1: like, it's like, we've got something to say. So we yeah, need a get it off to, our chests, to right? actually say it. Yeah. No. Get it off our chest. Um, all right. Uh, we'll get to the trailer show. We'll get to the showtime reveal. I want to start though, down in South Florida where Demetrius Andrade defended his middleweight title for a fourth time against Liam Williams. Better fight than I expected it to be. Williams did what he said he was going to do. He applied pressure. Uh, Andrade was just the superior fighter throughout most of the fight. Uh, Afterwards, we heard something of a familiar refrain. We heard Demetrius Andrade call for fights with other champions. Uh, Eddie Hearn, his promoter, uh, who has been getting more and more frustrated by the inability to make big fights for Demetrius Andrade, he was more emphatic after the fight. Uh, Here's what Eddie told me in the immediate aftermath of Andrade uh, beating Liam Williams. Champions are supposed to fight champions, okay? You've got guys out there like Jamal Charlo. You know, his brother's doing a great job. He's going through the divisions fighting champions. Jamal Char- Jamel Charlo is fighting, um, I can't remember his name. What's his name? Juan Montiel. Right, Juan Montiel. Well, I mean, Conor McGregor said it best. You know, I don't know what he's doing. He's got an opportunity. If he doesn't want to fight on his own, we've made him a massive offer. Demetrius will go and fight on Fox. It's not a problem. He's not expensive. He's going to cost him the same as Venchenko As you said, Jamal Charlo against Demetrius Andrade is a big, big fight. It's two great American world champions. Why are the champions not looking to face Demetrius Andre? He was hurt tonight. So Keith, let's start with the fight itself. You've seen a lot of Demetrius and Andrade fights over the years. Uh, what did you think of his performance?
4: You know, Chris, it started off like a lot of Demetrius Andrade fights. He gets off to fast starts. He knocked down Liam Williams in the second round. Looked like he might get him out of there early, maybe by the second or third round. Uh, credit to Liam Williams. Showed a lot of toughness, a lot of resolve. Um, you know, maybe to some degree, Andre let him off the hook, uh, as he has been criticized for doing in other fights, maybe. Um, but I think it was more... Do you
1: think he does that? Do you, do you think he does that? I mean, it's, it's a good point that you make. Like, does he let guys off the hook? Because we've seen this, right? Walter mm-hmm. Kautendakwa, Luke Keeler, Machek Suleksi. I mean, there's a as a pattern, as you point out there, about what Andre does. Do you think he lets guys off a hook? I mean, how do you interpret how these fights tend to play out?
4: Yeah, I, I think there's an element of it to that, Chris, because he does it repeatedly. I mean, there's some guys, you know, he, sh- he should have gotten Kautendakwa, who was a big puncher and hadn't fought many high-level guys. You know, I'm not saying he can't punch, but I thought he should have gotten him out of there before he did. Um, I think maybe in the case of Liam Williams, it was more that he realized that Liam Williams could punch. He didn't want to get careless and, and get clipped with something that, you know, could have changed the course of the fight. So I think he was more careful with Liam Williams and Liam Williams is a very tough guy who was in great physical condition. And Chris, I'll say this, man, you know, I understand that Demetrius Andrade is 33 years old now and his, and his legs might not be what they once were. I thought, I thought he still looked very good overall in the fight. But it was a tougher fight maybe than the scorecards indicated. I think it was two 118-109s uh, and a 116-111. I thought it was closer than 118-109. Williams had some strong rounds uh, toward the end of the fight when I thought Demetrius Andrade faded a little bit. And at the end of the ninth round, Chris, I'm sure you saw it as well, Liam Williams hurt Demetrius Andre with a right hand because he reacted very weirdly where he kind of like went into the ropes a little bit and then certainly – you know, held on to stop Liam Williams from following up on that shot. He was definitely hurt at the end of the ninth round, but then recovered and, you know, and obviously won the fight. Um, his right uppercut was a was his money punch in the fight. Landed it a bunch of times. I was there for him all night. Um, you know, where, where
1: did that come from, Keith? I, I, you know, I didn't get a chance to
4: ask him about that,
1: but like I hadn't seen that uppercut from him. Not like that. Not to yeah. that extent where he was using it as a weapon all night long.
4: I think he just saw something in Liam Williams, maybe where it was, it was there more for him against Liam Williams, maybe than other fighters. I've always kind of felt, and and I understand it, it makes fighters more susceptible to getting countered and everything. But I think the uppercut overall is maybe the most underutilized punch in boxing. Um, and and he took advantage of that in the fight yesterday. So, um, you know, overall, I'd probably give Demetrius Andre to B. I mean, he won convincingly. There was no discrepancy about who won the fight for sure. Um, but maybe a tougher fight than Andrade was expecting, and uh, and maybe a lot of other people were expecting. Although the odds on the fight were not that wide, I think he was he wasn't even a four to one favorite. He might have been minus one uh, minus three seventy five or so, something like that. Um, so a lot of British money, of course, coming in on on Liam Williams, which obviously affects the odds of the fight. But um, but a good performance from Liam Williams. You know, he came in as as an underdog for sure had not fought anyone nearly as good as Andrade in his career, lost twice to Liam Smith. So I think he did wonders for his career. He's only 28 years old and can climb back into contention for another title shot. But as far as Demetrius Andrade goes, Chris, you would think that he maybe showed something on Saturday, some vulnerability that might make guys like Jamal Charlo or Gennady Golovkin want to fight him maybe more so than they've shown thus far. I don't know that that's going to be true, but you would think, and that's what Eddie Hearn said, and I, and I agree with what he said. I mean, he showed some holes here. He showed some weaknesses, and again, he's 33 years old. His legs aren't what they once were. He's not old. you know. He's still probably toward the back end of his physical prime, but he's 33. I mean, he's not what he was five or six years ago. So I, I just hope some of these fights can be made, but I, I don't have much optimism about those fights being made more today than, than I did on Friday, even even with the way Andre looked in the fight.
1: I think one of the things I, I pointed out early in the week, and it, I think it proved to be true, is that I don't know that Andrade trained as well as he usually does for this fight because, I mean, he, he wasn't motivated. Like, he didn't want this fight. Like, mm-hmm. he wanted Billy Joe Saunders. He wanted, you know, Gennady Golovkin or any other, you know, unification fight, or a fight at 168, you know, Liam Williams was just kind of forced on him. And I remember seeing Andrade at the Canelo-Smith fight in December, and he was enjoying his life back then. That was just, you know, four months before the fight. Then I remember seeing him again at the Canelo-Yildirim fight, and he was enjoying his life at that point there. And he was only two months to go before his fight. So I, I don't... I didn't get the sense that this was the most committed that Demetrius Andrade was in training camp, and I think that exposed him to some fatigue during that fight and to getting clipped the way didn't hurt, as you said, uh, in that ninth round. So, you know, I am a one-man like Demetrius Andrade advocate. I own that. Like I just I want to see this guy in a big fight, but I'm with you. I'm just I don't have any optimism that we're going to see Andrade in a big fight in 2021. And it's really maddening to understand why. I mean, you know, I, I reported this last week about Golovkin and Murata. You know, they're negotiating the the deal for New Year's Eve. Huge holiday for boxing in Japan. For people that don't know, New Year's Eve in Japan is a huge boxing day. So Golovkin-Murata would be a mega event in Japan on New Year's Eve. But is Gennady Golovkin really going to take another year off and wait for a unification fight with Ryota Murata? Or is he going to, you know, get another big payday and take on the challenge that is Demetrius Andrade? I don't know how you feel about this, Keith, but like, you know, when Golovkin was coming up, and I'm sure you did this too, like, we kind of wrote when guys were ducking him, like, and we were, we, I don't know, we advocated for him, but we were you know, po- trying to point out this guy is great; he should be in big fights. We kind of treated—I mean, at least I treated him like I'm treating Demetrius Andrade right now. Like, I want to see Gennady Golovkin. In big fights now that he's got a little bit of power, it just seems like he's doing exactly what he hated that guys did to them. I mean, you put Golovkin in with Demetrius Andrade, like Andrade is not Rigondeaux in his prime. Like he's not this like incredibly difficult. fight. Like he's a tough fighter, but he's not impossible to beat. Like Golovkin to me, that would be a coin flip type of fight. At worse with Demetrius Andrade, so I just I get frustrated. With Golovkin, that he is just kind of sitting there on the sidelines. There's no big fight for him right now at 160 outside of Murata, and he's just going to let this opportunity to fight in the summertime against Andrade just go by. And I, and I heard, I've heard from people that you know Golovkin's team has said they don't want to fight Andrade, and that to me is really disappointing. Not not surprising, but really disappointing.
4: Yeah, and I think we really sense some of that frustration, Chris, in Eddie Hearn's voice when he spoke to you yesterday. I mean, he said some – I was pretty surprised that he said what he said about Gennady Golovkin. He's Golovkin's co-promoter, as you well know, and he was critical of Golovkin not wanting to fight Andrade and kind of wanting to wait another – what is it, eight months before he – eight and a half months, basically, before he would fight Murata in Japan. I don't know if he's going to sit on the sidelines for that long, but I can't imagine another one-year layoff is a great thing for a thirty-nine-year-old fighter, now he might be paid so much to go fight Murata, who, if people don't know, is a mainstream superstar in Japan. I mean, he's a star, and like not a boxing. That's star. like a.
1: I mean, that's like a Tokyo Dome fight
4: over there. Absolutely, like, that's fifty,
1: yeah. sixty thousand. Yeah. 60,000 in next December.
4: Yeah, it really is, and he's a mainstream star. He's not just a boxing star there, so he'll be paid handsomely to go there to fight Murata. So I understand that. Uh, but, but taking another eight and a half months off and having more than a year in between the Zara fight and the Morada fight, I don't think is a great idea for him. I, I also would sense that, you know, the and matron would be very frustrated if they can't get him in the ring to fight someone else, particularly Andrade, who they also have under contract because you have nothing to do with Andrade. If you can't get him to fight Charlo and then you can't get him to fight or, or you can't get Charlo to fight him and you can't get Golovkin to fight him. Who is Andrade going to fight? I mean, he's under contract for several more fights as well. And he just made his mandatory and people aren't all that, inter- you know, Mungu- another person who might deserve some criticism here is Jaime Munguia. He's the number one contender for his title. And he's not, you know, beating the drums to fight Demetrius Andrade either. And he's with the zone and, and golden boy and Xanfer. And, you know, that fight should be easier to make as well. And he is the mandatory chat or he was the mandatory challenger. Liam Williams satisfied that mandatory obligation for Demetrius Andrade, but Munguia didn't want to fight him either. So, you know, Demetrius, whatever's left of the prime of Demetrius Andrade's career is, is fading away day by day and he can't get anyone to fight him. The the Golovkin thing. I don't want to hurt your feelings by say, by saying anything bad about the Charlo Andrade fight, but (laughs) um, the Golovkin fight should be even easier to make. I mean, they're both on the quote unquote, same side of the street. They have the same promoter, the same network th- that they they have deals with. I mean, it should be a fight that's makeable, and Golovkin just doesn't seem interested in doing it.
1: Yeah, I'm just disappointed, Gennady, because th- there were so many years that people pushed for him that you know took the phone calls from Tom Loeffler and you know a- and advocated that you know Golovkin needs to be put in a big fight with Canelo, with Sergio Martinez, with Miguel Cotto, like. There were people backing him, and now here we are, when there are big, winnable fights for him that are out there, and it just seems like he's cherry picking at the moment. And I don't, I don't love that. I don't, I don't, I didn't love that when guys were doing it to him, and I don't love it when he's doing it to, to guys right now. Uh, the Charlo thing just is going to bother me until the day I die because you know, Charlo, and we're going to get to the Showtime slate, and the Showtime slate is very good. Like I, I there are fights I'm very excited about on Showtime's uh, schedule that was announced for the next five months. The Charlo-Juan Montiel fight is an enormous piece of shit. Like, it is is one of the worst headlining main events that you could possibly make. Montiel, for people that don't know, is coming off a first-round knockout win over the artist formerly known as James Kirkland. Like, this was like a shell of James Kirkland at that point. He was just the name at that point. Before that... Go back and watch it on YouTube. Montiel was pancaked by Jaime Munguia. That was a brutal knockout back in 2017. After that, in between the the win over, uh, over Kirkland and the loss to Munguia, you have a draw with Hugo Centeno. And Centeno is the same guy that Charlo just obliterated. You know, a few fights uh, earlier. So, I, I don't, I, I don't understand this. Like this is like Jamal Charlo. I've often said. To his face, like is a, a excellent fighter, a talented fighter. But you go look at his opponents when he since he hit 160, and like Matt Koroboff is the best fighter. And that was like his second fight at 160. He has wasted the better part of the last five years of his career in nothing fights. And now here we are in 2021. In June, he's gonna take that fight. And then what? Like, and then what is he gonna do? Is he really gonna fight David Benavidez at 168? Is that a better fight for him? Then uh, Demetrius Andrade? I, mm. I I don't think so. The, the Charlo stuff is just going to bother me. And look, I understand promoters lie all the time, and they spin how they how things are discussed. I think Eddie Hearn's telling the truth with what he's what he's talking about with Andrade and Charlo. Like I think he's made a really big offer to Jamal Charlo via Louis DeCubis, the manager, uh, co-manager for Charlo, and personally to Charlo via email. And I think he's being transparent. I know he's being transparent when he says that. Andrade will cross the street and go over to Fox or Showtime and fight Charlo on a PBC affiliated network. So I don't know how much longer we can keep stay on this merry-go-round, Keith, where we've got Demetrius Andrade, Jamal Charlo who, even if you're not as high on it as I am, like where I think it's like the third biggest fight you can make in all of boxing. I get I might be a little hyperbolic there, but it's like top five. Like, it is a great fight that you can make between two in their prime American middleweights. And <laughs> I just, and you probably don't think it's top five either, but as I see you laughing on the Zoom, but the, the, the this is an excellent fight that can be made. Both guys can make a boatload of money, and I think the winner of that fight will have a case that he belongs on a pound-for-pound list. So I just, it, this is just a constant Ferris wheel of nonsense that we can't get off of.
4: Yeah, it's frustrating uh, as it relates to Charlo, Chris, in the sense that he did take a step up in class in his last fight. I mean, he fought Sergei Drevyanchenko, who, you know, I think you've said and other people have said they thought beat Gennady Golovkin when they fought at Madison Square Garden and one of the best fights I've ever seen. I mean, it was one of the best action fights I've ever seen. Um, prob- Correct. That's
1: probably his best win. That, that, that's his best yeah. win,
4: not Korobov. Korobov, it's
1: better win than Korobov.
4: Well, wh- I, and yeah. And Korobov is, look, he's an underrated guy. He's had some injury problems toward the end of his career, but he gave Jamal Charlo a very difficult fight. I don't think that he won. I thought but I thought yeah, there Charlo was, there won was, that there fight. Was one, but,
1: there was one scorecard there. What was it? Uh, it was Larry, it was Hazard, La- Larry Hazard. Larry Jr. Hazard Jr. Let's yeah.
4: Boy. <laughs> that was Holy I think I was 118-109. Like yeah, it, it, yeah, it was 119-109. Like, it, it, yeah, 109. Yeah. Something. It was brutal. Nonsense. But um Charlo, you know, he takes a step up in class against Derevianchenko, who had not fought since he fought Golovkin. He's coming off a great performance against Golovkin. And Jamal Charlo handled Derevianchenko. Far easier than either Gennady Golovkin or Daniel Jacobs. Daniel Jacobs beat him by split decision. Gennady Golovkin won a unanimous unanimous decision very narrowly in a fight that people, some people thought Golovkin lost. Worst case scenario, it was an extremely competitive fight that could have maybe gone either way. Charlo beats him with ease. I mean, he just completely outclassed Revienchenko. He's much bigger, of course, in, in height and and stature and everything, but you know he, he beat him soundly. I mean, there was it was the best, in my opinion, it's clearly the best middleweight win of his career. You could probably quibble that, you know, the way he beat Julian Williams in their title fight, maybe that's the best win of his career. But I, I think you could argue that. I,
1: yeah, I think the Williams probably probably better, but only yeah, maybe it's only it's because
4: Derevianchenko Derevianchenko had lost twice before that. I, yeah, I I could see that. But the point is, he had taken a step up in competition at middleweight looked like he was ready to fight the types of guys that he has long said that he is willing and able to fight. And then you take a such a significant step backward here by fighting Juan Montiel. I, I, I mean, I don't even know what to say. It's bad. And the, the meanwhile, his brother is cleaning out the junior middleweight division. You know, as part yeah. of the announcement, he, he's fighting Brian Castaño, and the winner obviously will be – Uni- fully unified 154 pound champion. And so while Jermel is doing those types of things, he's kind of regressing here. And, and at some point he's going to have, if, if he really wants these fights, he's going to have to say to Al Heyman, I don't care what it takes to make these fights happen, although he's paid very well. Um, and I do believe that Eddie Hearn sent that email, the $7 million offer in the email, uh, you know, I don't know that email is the best way to go about making an (laughs) offer necessarily, but I do believe that he did it. And I do believe the funds were there to make that fight happen. Um, Check
1: your spam folder on that one. Check, (laughs) check spam, see if it went through. And by the way, Eddie said this to me uh, over the phone when we were talking earlier in the week, like say what you want about Eddie and his offers, but like, He's been backstopped by real money throughout. the right. last absolutely three years. Like not. This, yeah, not, this is not fake money.
4: I don't think that there is no dis, no dispute about the money being there for sure, and and honestly, probably would have overpaid Charlo just to make the fight happen. I mean, I don't know that it's necessarily worth seven million dollars for either guy, uh, but I get it. I mean, you're trying to overpay to entice the guy into the fight. Um, but but Eddie said yesterday that he's willing uh, to allow Demetrius Andrade to go fight. He said Fox. It would probably be Showtime at this point, but uh, but that he would allow him Demetrius Andrade to go there for in effect what Sergey Derevianchenko was paid to fight Charlo, which is a little over three million dollars, basically, right? So yeah. if he's going to make a little over three million dollars, and Charlo presumably would pay, be paid more than that, you know, somewhere in the five to six range, probably because Al Heyman takes care of his his fighters. Uh, let's just say that's a you're, you're talking about. An, uh, nine millionish in purses. Then it becomes a pay-per-view fight because you're not putting that fight on showtime. And then is, is it doable? Then you'd have to package. I think you'd have to package it with something else, like a good co-feature to put that on pay-per-view to make that fight happen. Um, but, but as it relates to Charlo, which is what you are originally talking about here and his level of opposition, uh, he he's taken a dramatic step backward here by fighting Juan Matiel on, uh, June 19th in Houston. They haven't determined the venue yet, but it's going to be in his hometown of Houston. Um, And it's disappointing. Uh, But also to go back to Jaime Munguia, uh, Montiel is rated fourth. So this is an optional defense for Jamal Charlo, another optional defense. But the number one contender is Jaime Munguia. Do, Do I think that Jamal Charlo would beat Jaime Munguia? Yes, I think he would beat him convincingly. But I think people would, he's undefeated. He's the number one challenger. And people would want to see that much more. And again, I understand there are some uh, network and streaming service and promotional obstacles toward making the fight. And I'm, I don't know that he's been declared the mandatory just yet, but he is the number one contender. So you'd much rather see him in that type of fight, in which I think he would be a big favorite also, but it wouldn't be a laughable fight like this Montiel fight.
1: I think Jaime Mangia is like at some point going to be number one in all four sanctioning bodies rankings and still not, and, you know, take yeah. a and, and, and still fight, fight. Demetrius
4: Ballard. I mean, you know.
1: Well, they, now we get to go back to Machek Silecki. That's right. Uh, all guys, like yeah. June nineteenth,
4: he he won't fight Andrade, but he'll fight guys that Andrade has beaten, I guess. Hey,
1: af- afternoon show. A lot of Polish subs there coming into uh mm-hmm. the zone for to watch Silecki. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. Look, Eddie. As far as Eddie moving Andrade over, like. I mean, Eddie's run out of options for Andrade. Like he's like the the show Andrade fought Williams on was in the afternoon in the U.S. It's not a sub driver in the U.S. Mm. It's done that way to take advantage of the U.K. audience, the Wales audience that might be willing and eager to watch Liam Williams. So I have no doubt that Andrade could walk across the street and I don't know, You know, the other thing is, and I say this as someone and everybody knows that I I call fights for DAZN, but like if you're a If you're a fighter, what the hell do you care who is broadcasting your fight? Like, if you can get $7 million in your hand, like, isn't that what it's all about? Aren't you in this? How many times, Keith, have we heard about prize fighting? Like, we hear about prize fighting, prize fighting. It's for for money. Like, what do you care, like, where that money's coming from? Who's writing the check?
4: Well, the interesting thing, Chris, is recently, Jamal Charlo was on uh, Brian Custer's podcast, and he had him on for a good 35 to 40 minutes. It was one of the more perplexing interviews that I've seen in quite some time because Jamal Charlo was in one breath saying that he has no interest in going up to 168 pounds because he wants to become the fully unified champion at 160 pounds to later in the interview saying that he would go up to 168 pounds for the right fights. Um, he, he was just all over the place in this interview. And he said some things that I just found very odd. Um, and he didn't say it in, in that interview, but he had previously said that the Benavidez fight. Now I'll preface what I'm about to say by saying this. I understand that going up to 168 pounds to fight Benavidez when Benavidez does not have one of the titles makes it a little less attractive. I I do understand that. I mean, if he was this WBC champion and Charlo was getting an opportunity to become a three weight world champion, it would be much more enticing for him. Um, The money still probably would be good for that fight for both guys. Um, But he said several things, uh, including that if uh, David Benavidez wasn't vaccinated, that he wasn't going to fight him and that he's too young. He's he's not even over 25 years old and he wouldn't. I mean, those are bizarre reasons to not fight someone. I I would much more hang my hat on. He doesn't have a title. What does it do for me? as the reason for not fighting him than the fact that he's not fully vaccinated and and he's not 25 years old yet. The, those, those are bizarre but, answers.
1: To, to be clear, no, nobody's allowed to fight with COVID, just so we know. We, uh, we should know this
4: by now. I don't even know what he meant by that because, because like you said, it's not like you're going to fail a COVID test and then they're going to allow you to get into the ring. It, it, no, you
1: know, no. And
4: and, <laughs> and again, he Chris, I mean, it's just a, it was a baffling interview to me because it just seemed – He was just saying a lot of things that were going to make him a target for criticism. I felt. And, and he, again, just came off fighting one of the top five or six middleweights in the world and beat him convincingly. So I don't, I don't think that it's that he doesn't want the fights, but some of the things that he said or or continues to say, make you wonder what is going on with him.
1: Yeah. I just think you said it at some point, he's going to have to go to Al Heyman and say, I want this fight. Let's make this fight happen uh, or else we're going to get stuck on this, this Ferris wheel and we're never getting off. eBay motors is here for the ride. Now I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved about my first car. And that's easy for me to do because I still have my first car and As long as it keeps running, and so far, so good, I intend to have that car probably until the day I die. Uh, That's how much I love that car. It is like a child to me. Now, it does require some upkeep, and that's why I'm grateful for a place like eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs,
0: Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
2: Do you love Selena? Like, really love? Whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stan the Queen of Tejano.
4: And Stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon.
2: We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon.
1: All right, let's move on. Uh, also on Saturday, we had Triller making its return to pay-per-view on a show headline by Jake Paul, taking on retired MMA fighter Ben Askren. Also on that card was Regis Progre against Ivan Redcatch. That fight ended, uh, let's call it bizarrely. Uh, th- this Keith was, uh, it was kind of a shit show out there. You had celebrities <laughs> who were part of the broadcast, uh, musical acts that seemed to go on forever. I think I saw Pete Davidson blow smoke in Al Bernstein's face at one point. Like it was, it was, it was something, man. Um, you watched the Tyson Jones fight, you know, from November. Now we have this one. I mean, what did you make of uh triller
4: 2.0? I would say that shit show is probably the best way to describe what we all saw last night, Chris, because yes, there were things for everyone. There were probably too many things that they're trying to cram into one show to entertain different groups of people, I guess. Um, but at one point I walked away from the computer for you know, I had this on my on my laptop and I had the Tony Harrison fight on my TV and I came back and I don't know Ric Flair was standing by these two slobs slapping each other in the face and I'm like what's happening like what, what is this you're already wasting a lot of time to get to the actual fights which I understand because they're they're catering to different audiences you know with musical acts and uh, Snoop Dogg and Pete Davidson. I'm a big Pete Davidson fan. Funny dude. Love. Same. Love the King of Staten Island. Watched it a bunch of times. Great movie. I think he's great on SNL and everything. I think he put it best when he said, I'm going to have to fire my agent for getting me involved in this last night. Probably true. Um, Because he was out of place and they doing these roving interviews and everything. I think at one one point he might have said that Jake Paul is a piece of shit or something to that effect. I mean, he said... Uh, look, there, there were so many things going on last night, Chris, that were bizarre. I mean, I, it, I don't, it, should we even talk about Oscar De La Hoya? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, think, I think we
1: have you know, to I, at some point. It, it's, Let's put a put a pin in that for a second. And just the, I mean, this is you know the wave of the future, at least the yeah. immediate future in boxing, because we know Triller Trillo is going to do this at least uh, once in June and once in July right, right. when De La Hoya is purportedly going to come back. I mean, I I didn't gain anything from it i mean the pro gray red catch fight uh i don't know what red catch was doing there like he went down and it looked like a clean punch to me and then I, and then the whole thing and then you got pro gray who didn't take his training seriously for this fight at all either i mean he came in at what 143 for for this event i you know i don't i don't know that, that for, as a in terms of boxing like mainstream boxing that that didn't do anything for me that,
4: that's right. For me. Well, Chris, there was one actual boxing match on, you know, and, and I'm not, I, I want to say this, Chris, because I understand, you know, the people, the the supporters of Triller and and YouTube boxing and all that kind of stuff will say, Oh, you boxing guys are just shitting on it because they're having success and everything. Listen, if people want to buy these fights where Jake Paul is fighting people who've never boxed before they're Hey, and there's an, a market for it. Go ahead and do it. I mean, as long as you can make money off of it, I, there's no harm in that. I mean, there's no reason why they can't conti- if they can continue selling it to, to the, to Jake Paul's fan base and you know, some of the other guys that are, he seems to be like the only one doing it with any consistency right now. But if there are other people like his brother, of course, Logan Paul, who still might fight Floyd Mayweather um, you know, go ahead. I mean, c- continue doing it. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it, but I, but I'll say this as a boxing, you know, obviously we cover boxing for a living. And, and the one real fight that was on the card last night ended in such a way that I think that Ivan Redcatch should be suspended and at least a portion of his purse should be with, withheld permanently from him because what he did last night was he perpetrated a fraud on the public. There's no two ways about it. He was not hit with a low blow. He was hit on the – he was grazed on the on – the, I believe it was the left side of his body uh, with, a, with a partial body punch from Regis Probe, Right. And then he's rolling around, holding his groin. He, he, he wasn't hit low. Like what the hell is, what was that? I mean, he's literally, he made up something that didn't even come close to happening and sold it to the point where he was removed from the ring on a stretcher. That was wild. I mean, he really should be suspended. Now this is two fights in a row with red cash. He bit Danny Garcia in his last fight. It went the distance. It went the distance. But he did bite Danny Garcia. Uh, And now this is, I'm not advocating biting people, but uh, this was worse, I thought, because he really, look, he was in a fight that he was clearly losing, realized that Regis Progre was well on his way to knocking him out. And I don't say this often about fighters because I have, you know, as you do, Chris, I have a real respect for what it takes to get into the ring at all. So I don't sit, take it lightly when I say something like this, but he was looking for a way out of that fight, and he unfortunately found it.
1: Yeah, and it it just was another bizarre element of that entire night. Uh, before I get to Oscar, you know, Jake Paul is insisting to every camera that's put in front of him that he's a real fighter. Uh, so far, he's beaten you know a fellow youtuber who had was just a completely overmatched uh he knocks out my old friend Nate Robinson um in a vicious fashion and now he knocks out Ben Askren who if you had watched any film of Ben Askren you knew he couldn't punch so it's like you know you i didn't know it was going to happen in the first round but that was what was going to happen mm-hmm. do you have any interest keith in like seeing Jake Paul try to face like a real cruiserweight like is that Do anything for you, or do or do you think this is just kind of the way it should go? Like, let him keep fighting these celebrity death matches until (laughs) until he can no longer make money on it.
4: It's tricky in the matchmaking sense, Chris, because he doesn't have any experience either. It's not like he's some guy who has some wealth of boxing experience and he's picking on people who've never fought before. I mean, he has fought, I guess, once as an amateur and three times as a professional now, but he doesn't have a lot of experience, so. It's hard to like because what type if they don't do the types of things that they're doing, having him fight a former NBA player or a former MMA fighter, who are you going to have him fight? Because otherwise, he'd just be fighting nondescript cruiserweights with like you know 500 records or worse, maybe. Because those are the types of people that he should be fighting because he doesn't have any experience. So he does, look, it looks he's a strong guy. I mean, it looks like he can punch, obviously, but. I don't know how you go about matching him when you're trying not only to develop him as a fighter or so he says, uh, but you're also trying to capitalize on his popularity because you just can't put him in there against any boxer that no one's ever heard of and sell it for $50. So they have to kind of find these, um, you know, these opponents. And I don't know how you're going to go about doing that from here on out. I mean, maybe they'll find another MMA guy for him to fight, but like who, you know, there aren't a lot of great cruiserweights that people know anyway, but, Um, I don't know when he would be ready for that type of fight. You know, he probably needs, if he were to fight a real cruiserweight contender, he probably needs 10 more fights, right? I mean, he's not, he's not a finished product by any sense. I mean, kudos to him for doing what he's doing and, and capitalizing on his popularity and everything, but he's not ready to fight. A world class cruiserweight at this point, right? I mean, so what do you do? I mean, it's no, a weird position. No. We,
1: you, we would never, we would, we would never expect a fighter with, you know, like take like Chavez Junior for example, a, a guy who had almost no amateur background when he turned pro. You know how slowly was he brought along, and like he was, and that's a guy right. with a boxing that's what I mean. pedigree. Yeah. I mean, he was he was slow played there. I did have a promoter call me on Sunday and say, look, I I believe I could get Jake Paul ranked in the top fifteen in a couple of years. Like that they that, you know, they could find a way through opponents, you know, I mean and rankings of course can be manipulated and, you know, who knows, the WBA might sanction like an interim title for him at at some point. But I, I I think that if he wanted to get real serious about it over the next couple of years, I think we could see him you know, emerge as a real ball. Bo- I think. I, I think there's actual talent there. I don't think he's goofy. I, I think mm-hmm. he's he's got some some legitimate skills. Got some legitimate pop. Uh, he seems pretty disciplined when it comes to the sport. I think we could uh, we could see him do that. But it's it's not to your point. It's not going to entertain in the way that a fight against a Ben Askren entertained. Like I don't know what kind of business that show did. I mean, Jake Paul went on Instagram and said like. 1.3 million. I don't believe that. Like, I, I just don't. And even if you did, you don't know pay-per-view results
4: on Sunday. Like that just doesn't. <laughs> I mean,
1: how many times have we done that Keith? Yeah. Well, uh,
4: yeah. Well, let's not go, let's not go down that rabbit hole, but, um, <laughs> yeah. but, I, but, I'll, but Chris, he was paid. I was told that he, his guarantee last night was $2 million. So yep. if he's making that kind of money, Fighting in these in these, you know, uh, they're not it's not celebrity boxing, whatever you want to call it, right? I mean I mean it kinda is. It's it's sanctioned celebrity boxing is what it is. Yeah, but he I mean he considers himself a real fighter. So he he well, he finds it insulting to call it celebrity boxing for whatever it's worth. But point being, if he goes and fights real cruiserweights that no one's ever heard of and there's no uh You know, like with Ben Askren, you know, the MMA fans were willing to buy it because he's a former UFC fighter and people want to see Jake Paul get knocked out and everything. Well, there's no such market for unknown cruiserweights. So then he would have to take a pay cut to fight guys. Is he, why would he do that? If he just made $2 million last night to to fight Ben Askren in a fight that didn't last three minutes, he's not going to look to take pay cuts. So again, it's, I think it's a tricky thing for him moving forward that while he's committed to being a real fighter, I mean, how committed in the sense that if you're going to build yourself incrementally, incrementally, like a cruiserweight contender, they're not going to keep paying you that way. Yeah.
1: I think, I think you honestly need like retired light heavyweights like who are, are well-known. Like let's say, let's say like Sergei Kovalev retired for a couple of years and then he wanted to fight Kovalev. And in, in, I, I don't know, something, something along those lines that, but it would be the only way I could see him fighting a actual boxer until then. I think it's going to be this the rest of the way, which is fine. Like, you know, more power to him. You can make millions of dollars, you know, fighting for
4: 60 seconds <laughs> by all means, man. But so, Chris, how long the the thing I will say, like with everything else, how long yeah. can you continue doing that? Because even if you have a real fan base, people are going to want to see him tested at some point, like truly tested so, how long can you continue doing these types of things and and generating the type of business that they're claiming that they generated last night?
1: No, nah, that's a good point. You've got to you've got to keep finding marketable opponents. I don't know who they are, um, and and maybe somebody's gonna have to give you a real test. You know, where you go three, four, five rounds, and and you have to to show a little something uh, in the ring. Uh, lastly, on the thriller fight, uh, we mentioned De La Hoya. Not a great look for Oscar in in on this show. I mean, he was clearly you know, under the influence of something, uh, you know, in that uh, sitting up there on the broadcast. Uh, he, he just was, I mean, it was all over social. It was like one of the things you saw repeatedly on boxing Twitter was like, what's going on with Oscar? What's going on with Oscar? Yeah. What's going on with Oscar? Uh, you know, you, I, I don't want to get too deep in the psychological weeds on what's going on with Oscar, but man, it, it just, you know, that, that's a tough look to see him on TV looking and sounding <clears> like that.
4: Chris, I don't know whose responsibility it was last night. Someone should have removed him from that broadcast at a certain point because it was it. I understand that people on Twitter they think it's funny, and or most people seem to think it's funny and everything. And he was saying some outlandish things, and he was kind of yelling throughout the the Frank Mir uh, Steve Cunningham fight. It's not really funny when someone has a problem like that, like for his family and everything. But whose responsibility is it? to take him, someone should have, I don't know who it is, and I'm not blaming anyone in particular, but someone should have removed him from that broadcast. That should not have continued for as long as it did, and it's uh, more than unfortunate that it did.
1: Yeah. And look, he's also out there teasing that he's coming back against the best. No, he's not. Like, he's going to come back against... An MMA fighter probably. You know, but mm-hmm. you know, there's been reports about Eddie Alvarez from, you know, one MMA boxing and I'm sure it's gonna be somebody along those lines. I would yeah. not for people that watched that broadcast and came away thinking that like Delahoy is gonna fight Gennady Golovkin well, on Trilla, well, like
4: He did tell you that he was gonna that he wanted to fight Gennady Golovkin on your podcast, He did, which, I, which actually made me laugh out loud when I heard it. But I mean like and look, I don't I
1: don't blame him for not, not doing it. Like, but let's just stop with this. When I fought, I fought the best. So when I come back, I'm gonna fight the best. No, you're not. Like no. he's digging this hole for himself. The people are just gonna look at his quotes and be like, Oscar, you said you're gonna fight this guy and now you're fighting that guy.
4: But what but what is what purpose would it look, Oscar De La Hoya was one of the best fighters to ever live. He fought all of the great virtually all of the great fighters in his weight classes and his generation. Moved up weight class upon weight class upon weight class to where he didn't belong at middleweight. I mean, there's his legacy is is, I mean there's he's one of the best fighters to ever put on a pair of boxing gloves. And now he's, I believe he's what's he forty eight years old now. Yeah, I understand they had the competitive drive for forever, but at a certain point, I mean, you you, you know, Gennady Golovkin would be the young guy in that fight. Think about that. Thirty-nine-year-old <laughs> yeah, Gennady 39. Golovkin would be would be a decade young, younger, you know, exactly. I mean, so, and and you don't want to see Oscar De La Hoya or anyone, any fighter who's forty-eight or forty-nine years old be put into that position where you could where you could get hurt. I don't think anyone would license Oscar De La Hoya against Gennady Golovkin in a real boxing match, but still, yeah. I mean, I, you know, if he, but just as it relates to Jake Paul, if Oscar wants to come back in six-round exhibitions or eight-round exhibitions and capitalize on his popularity and his place in the sports history, he, he's more than welcome to do that. I, I, I would just hope that, that you know, look, he, that he's taking training seriously and that we, what we saw last night is not a reflection of how he's going to be getting ready for this fight in July.
1: Yeah, my thing with Oscar is that I think Oscar still has the ability to be the most influential promoter in boxing. He's not right now, and that's largely a mess of his own making, but his name still resonates with young fighters. You know, Virgil Ortiz, Ryan Garcia, like these young guys seek the approval of Oscar De La Hoya. Like they want to be in the "quote unquote" De La Hoya business. You get these young up and coming Olympians who do they hear about when they're part of the U.S. Olympic team? Oscar De La Hoya, gold medal, 1992, the Golden Boy. You think that doesn't that doesn't resonate with these guys? If Oscar could just get his stuff together and commit fully to being a boxing promoter, he could still become the most powerful boxing promoter that's out there. I, I really believe that. I don't think he has the the kind of savvy, of course, of Eddie Hearn, who has got you know his finger in, like, 19 pies. I mean, Eddie's, Eddie's doing these... He's, he's finishing up the Andrade fight, and then he's doing these, like, YouTube interviews where he's talking about a fight in Milan, like, next Friday. Like, you know, Eddie's... What Eddie does is, is a story unto itself. But Oscar's ability to attract all the best American and Mexican talent is still there. It's still within him. He just needs to get his stuff together and completely commit to being a boxing promoter. If he does that, I mean, he can have, I think, a, a really productive, still productive post-fight career. But right now, you just don't see him, Keith, turning that corner. You don't see him looking in that direction.
4: Yeah, and Chris, of course, he, they just lost the biggest star in, in American boxing. I mean, they had Canelo yep. Alvarez and helped build him into the attraction that he is. And and Canelo walked away from them because he did not want to...
1: And are having, and are having major problems right now with the let's call him arguably the best young star in American boxing in Ryan Garcia, maybe the most marketable
4: young star yeah. in American boxing. I don't know about the best stuff. Um, cause I, yeah, cause, that's, cause, that's more of. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, yeah, cause look, Ryan Garcia has that appeal with the young people and the, and the, uh, you know, social media influencer crowd and all that kind of stuff. There's no two ways about that, but they are having issues with him also. Um, that Virgil Ortiz, one of the best young fighters in boxing, they also have him under contract. So they still have some talent. Um, but the losing Canelo is a blow that is very, very difficult to overcome. So I, I, you know, it depends on what happens with Ryan Garcia here in the next year or so. And Virgil Ortiz to see which direction the company will go. But I mean, there aren't many companies that overcome the loss of a fighter, uh that significant and 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 who's that much of a part of what they represented uh for them moving forward so you know that's very difficult and i look garcia could but like you said chris they're having problems with ryan garcia now so i mean for their sake that you know they hope they can rectify those issues as they move forward here but if they can't well you know then they have virgil ortiz and you know a couple other joseph diaz jr a couple other fighters that are solid but
1: We aren't that far removed from Joseph Diaz being pissed off at them. I mean, that was like six months ago when Jojo Diaz was on social media getting irked at some of the things that were going on uh, at Golden Boy. Um, Yeah, I I just think Oscar's got – the potential is still there. I just think forget the boxing, get your your house in order, your proverbial house in order, and then get focused on boxing promoting. Let's finish, Keith, with – the Showtime schedule, which was announced last week, uh, I did dump all over Jamal Charlo versus Montiel. I still hate that fight, but I think there are some good fights on uh, this Showtime slate. And and for me, the most excited I get, and I'm sure you would agree, is the Jamel Charlo Brian Castaño fight, which happening midsummer, um, a four belt unification fight at junior middleweight. Uh is probably not somebody everybody's heard of. He Took the belt off Patrick Teixeira in a terrific performance a few months ago. Uh, but he is a pressure fighter. Like, he is coming to fight. Like, this is not going to be, this won't be a fight for the faint of heart. Like, this is going to be a war, I think, for as long as it lasts. And all credit to Jamel Charlo, who, you know, since he's won those titles, he had the hiccup with the uh, controversial loss to Tony Harrison. He went back out, avenged that loss a couple of fights later. He then turned around and fought Jason Rosario in a unification fight. And now he's stepping in and fighting for another major world title. I mean, I had a conversation last week with Tony Harrison, and we know Tony Harrison badly wants that third fight with Jermel Charles. But even Tony was saying to me, he's like, I don't really begrudge Jermel. Like Jermel is not, you know, I don't think he's avoiding me, but he's not. A, he wouldn't be avoiding me to fight uh, lesser fighters. He's fighting the best guys out there at 154 right now. So that to me, Keith, is the the cream of the crop in that Showtime schedule.
4: Yeah, absolutely. It's a full unification fight. It's the first uh, full unification fight in the history of the 154-pound division. It's on Showtime, and it's not on pay-per-view. Like the Rosario fight uh, was part of a pay-per-view combo with the Jamal Charlo, Sergey Derevyanchenko fight. It's on the network. It's the best fight of the, uh, I think there were 13 fights altogether, maybe, that they announced. Uh, seven world title fights, but that's the best one. July 17th. I've been told that it'll probably be somewhere in Houston, although that's not solidified yet. Um, but yeah, that's an excellent fight I would expect. And Jamel Charlo deserves a lot of credit. I mean, he, you know, he, he has created all these imaginary enemies, like a lot of fighters do Thinks the world's against them and all that kind of stuff. I don't really know why he does that, but at the same time, um, he has taken all of the challenges at 154 pounds that he possibly could take. Whereas his brother is being criticized for his level of opposition. Jermell has run toward those challenges. And I thought that he won the first fight against Tony Harrison. I thought it was a very close fight, but I thought he won. I think he should be undefeated personally, but um, came back and avenged that loss obviously. And now has beaten Jason Rosario and is now fighting Brian Castaño and uh, you know, within the next three months could be the fully unified 154 pound champion. Nothing not to like there. Uh, As far as the rest of the schedule goes, Chris, there's some other good fights on there. There are a couple of fights that, you know, they just kind of are what they are. You know, Chris Colbert against Yori Gamboa. I mean, Gamboa is apparently going to fight every – 130 and 135 we're just, we're pound champion ble- and lose badly. Right? Just bleeding guess, his you know.
1: name, just bleeding the, whatever's yeah. left out of that Gamboa name. Yeah. Like, and, and
4: at least he's moving back down in weight. I guess, if you want to look at something positive to take from it, I don't know, but, but I, I'll say this, Chris Colbert to me was very impressive in his uh, last fight against Jaime Arboleta. Uh, that was the best performance I thought of Chris Colbert's career. So his, he's kind of on the rise here. I would have liked to have seen him fight maybe a younger challenger, but, um, but again, you know, Yorikos Gamboa has some name recognition for whatever that's worth. And it's the, the interesting thing I thought about that one is it's on 4th of July weekend. So you kind of got a fight that might not be all that appealing to the public and it's on 4th of July weekend. So I don't know what the viewership for that type of uh, telecast would be. But but I'll say, you know, th- there are some other good fights on there. So, you know, look, and Yao is, is 105 years old, right? But he, but he's that he's still really good and he's still and he doesn't his legs aren't what they once were but he still has only lost one time to to Vasily Lomachenko so um, him against Casimiro will be a fun fight I think for as long as it lasts because I think the fact that Rigendahl's legs aren't what they once were he's going to stand and fight Casimiro, who's a huge puncher so that fight is an interesting fight in the bantamweight division which I think is August 14th on Showtime um, toward the mm-hmm. back end of the schedule Chris I w- the, the fight on well first first I think Brandon Figueroa based on the way he fights against Luis Neary is going to be a very entertaining fight on May 15th and the winner of that fight will then go into a unification fight against Stephen Fulton on September 11th I mean that's an excellent fight kudos to Stephen Fulton for taking that kind of fight um, in, in yeah, what and yeah and
1: on, on that Keith on that that line of thinking like I love what Showtime is doing in that particular division because you got Danny Roman on the undercard of that fight, and Danny is another guy that is excellent. Like he's a great, a really good one and two twenty-two pounder who had that close loss to M.J. Akhmadulliev uh, a year or so ago. So you'll put him in that mix presumably as well if he doesn't get a rematch with with and then yeah, you. you I like it when you're setting up other fights. You have good a good fight, Neri and Figueroa, and then the winner of that fight in September, just a few months later, getting a unification fight against Stephen Fulton. I like when there's, you know, a plan, not just a good fight, but a plan to have an even better fight right afterwards.
4: Yeah, and that's the thing I think that Stephen Espinosa deserves credit for here, not only here, Chris, but in what they did with their last schedule and a lot of what he has done in the past. Sometimes you might have to take a fight that's not particularly appealing because it's leading to another fight between the winner of that fight and another fight that you're going to broadcast later. He, you know, Espinoza tries to get it. uh, He wants the fights for the, sometimes you just take fights because you have to, and because they're in business with PBC and you just have to guys are, you know, have fights owed to them and they're, you know, but he tries, um, he tries anyway to get fights that lead to bigger fights. And there's evidence of that in this showtime schedule and sure, there are some fights, like I think with any other schedule, like with the top rank schedule that they have, or with, uh, you know, matchroom, there's going to be fights that people aren't that interested in. That's just the nature of boxing. You're not going to have the top guys fighting the top guys every time. And sure, it's frustrating for viewers and, and you know, the media is going to criticize it to some degree. But I think here, I think you have some examples of, you know, of course, Jamal Charlo against uh, Montiel is an outlier, but um but I think you have some good fights on this schedule. You know, uh the Donair or Wali fight, which is rescheduled from December because of the COVID situation. I think that's a good fight also. Um the, the Tank Davis fight is you know, Tank Davis, whether people like it or not, is a pay per view fighter now. So anyone expecting him to be on showtime or he's never fought on Fox but are on Fox or whatever, that's just not happening. So it, it, do, it, do you me.
1: understand, like, we, we've known about the Barrio fight for, fight for a while now. Do you understand it? Like, I, no. I don't know if I quite get it that, like, you know, Barrios is a pretty, I think he's a dangerous guy, you know, for for <clears> He's <throat> big, strong. He's a real 140. Uh, and for Gervonta, what do you gain from beating Mario Barrios? Like, I swear to God, if anyone mentions that secondary title that Barrios has at any point oh. in time, it's ludicrous. Like, it's not a real title fight. It's, it's, it's the land of make-believe. And Barrios, I just don't understand what tank gains from it besides clearly some money
4: yeah i wholeheartedly agree with you on this chris and i said this from the beginning that it's it's sort of it's a weird fight in the sense that he's not going to get a ton of credit for winning the fight because i don't think barrios is a tough kid uh can punch a little bit uh he, he has a secondary wba title i mean who doesn't at this point right i mean everybody has a secondary wba title but but, and, and this is no, you know, Barrios, is, he's a solid 140 pounder, but Davis is going to go into the fight as a, uh, as a clear favorite, even though he's technically moving up two weight classes to do it. But there is some danger in it in that he's much bigger than him. And he's fought at 140 pounds for the last four years or so. And, and he's just naturally big. He's probably five inches taller or so than Javante Davis. and Javante Davis is a small guy. I mean, you you're, you're obviously much taller than both of us, but I mean, when I when I stand next to Gervonta Davis, I'm not tall, and he's shorter than me. So like, and Barrios is about 5'10", five, and 10, five, 10, five, 10, ten and a half maybe. He's much mm-hmm. you know he's much taller than him. He's accustomed to the weight class. He's not a he's not a devastating puncher, but he's he's got enough power to be dangerous. So so while Davis sh- Gervonta Davis should get some credit if he goes in there and let's just say he knocks out Mario Barrios. He should get some credit for it because he's moving up two weight classes. But what's going to happen is if that if he beats him in that way, they're going to say, "Oh well, Mario Barrios wasn't that good. He cherry picked 140 pounds secondary champion in order to skip the guys at 135 pounds or maybe even some at 130 pounds that people actually want to see him fight. Whether that's altogether fair, I'm not sure. But but. He's not fighting any of the 135-pounders or 130-pounders that people want to see him fight. Whether that's all his fault or not is sort of irrelevant.
1: Uh, Last thing, do you believe that – we talked about fights setting up fights. Is there any chance that Charlo Montiel and Benavidez uh, Uskatagi sets up Charlo Benavidez before the end of the year?
4: I think it's hard to say, Chris, because I don't know that Jamal Charlo is fully commi- or, or committed at all to moving up to 168 pounds. Because I go back to the interview that he did recently with Brian yeah, Custer, yeah. in which he said he had no interest in doing it, but he would do it. You know, later in the interview, he said that. So I don't know if he's if he's serious about it or not. And and again, unless Benavidez, see, Benavidez is in a weird position, Chris, or a bad position, and it's. No one's fault but his own for losing the title twice without actually losing a fight. He has no leverage now. People, right. an entertaining fighter, um, and, and people want to see him fight. But why would you fight him? If why is because I heard this. You know, people were saying, "Oh, well, Caleb Plant should fight Benavidez before he fights Canelo." Are you crazy? I mean, the, the biggest payday yeah. of Caleb Plant's life is awaiting him in September. Why would he risk it against David? Even if he felt that David Benavidez couldn't beat him. It's still a risky fight. Why would you go fight him before that? He, Caleb Plant's best order of business is just to wait to see what happens May 8th. Assuming Canelo beats Billy Joe Saunders, you fight him. There's no, there's no point to him fighting David Benavidez despite their rivalry and everything. There's the, Benavidez, it's his own doing. He has no leverage right now.
1: Yeah, he's in a tough spot and. You know he he's had so many problems with that weight too. You wonder how long he's going to be at that weight class. Yeah. He might decide to move up to 175 uh, at some point. But yeah, th- those two fights, I, those those are the least I'm excited about. You know, I think Benavidez just rolls through uh, Ustakagi in pretty easy fashion because Ustakagi's not looked very good lately. <laughs> yeah, he no, he.
4: Yeah, I think it's just kind of a state. It's it's an eliminator. It's a WBC eliminator, probably to get him back oh, in good, position to. Good.
1: Well, well, the interesting good. Good, good that Ustikage, good news in eliminator since he beat a guy that was twenty and twenty eight in his last uh, time.
4: Well, here's where it could become interesting, Chris. If he beats him, he'd be. He, I assume he would become the mandatory contender for Canelo.
1: Yeah, and we we all know the WBC is going to go out of their way to make sure that Canelo well, will be Canelo, franchise <laughs> champion WBC <laughs> at some point. We all know that's coming. You think?
4: You think? Oh yeah! No. Come on. This, no, you're you're probably you know, right. But I, but look, it would put some pressure on Canelo if he's going to remain at 168 pounds if, just say he beats Saunders and Plant and let's say yeah. Benavidez is his mandatory contender well what is is he going to move back down to 160? I don't know. What, is he no, going to Canelo's move... not going back to 160. Well, that's what I'm saying. I, I, so... I talked to Canelo.
1: Yeah. I, I don't think Canelo's going anywhere. I don't think he's going to 175 again unless there's like a Bevel undisputed championship on the line where it's, you know, legacy defining. I think he's going to hang at 168 and, you know, fight the best there and have guys come up. That's why, like, Benavidez and, and and Charlo, I mean, this is, again, like, you know, looking at boxing logically, which is never the right thing to do. But Benavidez and Charlo, like, the winner of that fight, that, that would get Canelo's interest, especially if it's Charlo. Like, that would pique his interest for a fight in uh, mid-2022. I don't know. That's just the way I see it. Uh, Keith, always good to talk to you, man. Uh, I'm sure we'll do another emergency podcast in a few weeks when, uh, <laughs> when something else comes up.